1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti, thank you as always for listening. I have three parts for you today. In part one, we'll review our Primavera match over the weekend against Empoli, in part two, we'll review our femminile match over the weekend against Sampdoria, and in part three, we'll preview our midweek Europa League fixture against Legia Warsaw. So let's start with the Primavera match on Sunday. Empoli came into this match sitting in seventh in the table, but like Atalanta in our previous match, their position in the table is probably not a true reflection of the quality of their squad. Last season, they finished in 6th in the table, but in the Primavera, the Scudetto isn't awarded to the team that finishes top of the table. Instead, there is a playoff amongst the top 6 teams. The way it works is the top 2 teams get a bye to the semifinals, and the 3rd through 6th place teams play in a quarterfinal. So Empoli were the last team to qualify for the playoff, yet they managed to win the title. The championship was well deserved though, Empoli had to go through some pretty big teams to win it. They beat Juventus 2-1 in the quarterfinals, then they beat Inted 3-2 in the semifinals, and finally they beat Atalanta 5-3 in the final. Moving on to this season, Empoli came into this match on 9 points, which was only 3 points behind us in the table. They lost their opening match to Verona 2-1, but hadn't lost since. They tied Pescara and then they trounced Spal 6-0. Then they beat Torino before drawing Inter and Roma. For Napoli, we were looking to bounce back from our midweek loss to Cosenza in the second round of the Coppa Italia Primavera. Frustalupi rotated his entire squad for that match to keep his regular starters fresh for this one. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Empoli lined up in their usual 4-3-1-2 formation with Clement Vlaic in goal. Nicolo Evangelisti and Leonardo Pezzola started at centre-back, Alessio Rizza started at left-back and Jordan Bolli started at right-back, Duccio degli Innocenti started in the centre of the midfield with Jacopo Fazzini to his left and Lorenzo Iñacchiti to his right, Tommaso Baldanzi played as the trequartista, and Alessio Rossi and Davide Villa started together up top. For Napoli, Frustalupi made only one change to the team he fielded against Atalanta – he lined up in his usual 3-4-2-1 formation with Huberi Dasiak in goal. Davide Costanzo, Benedetto Barba, and Daniel Hisai started as the back three. Alessandro Spavone and Colisacco started in the center of the midfield. Francesco De Marco started over Enrico Giannini on the left wing, which was the one change, and Domenico Di started on the right wing. Up top, Antonio Cioffi and Giuseppe D'Agostino played as the two trequartisti, and Giuseppe Ambrosino started at striker. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. This was a really tight match. I don't know if you could say that Empoli were the more positive side. They certainly had more of the ball, but Napoli were fine with that. We were very organized, we maintained our structure, and we defended as a team, which made it very difficult for Empoli to break through. Empoli are a very patient team. They don't like to force the play, but because we were set up well, that meant a lot of passing amongst Empoli's backline around midfield, which we were quite content to allow. Unfortunately, that also meant that this wasn't a very eventful match. We didn't even see a corner kick until the 28th minute. Our game plan appeared to be to defend and counter, but the long ball simply wasn't working. However, we did have the best chance of the half in the 33rd minute. Didona played a throw into Ambrosino. He controlled the ball at the corner of the Empoli area, Turned and squared to Spavone at the edge of the area. Spavone took two quick touches before firing with his left, but the shot finished just over the bar. Empoli's best chance of the half came about five minutes before the break. The Marco's clearance was blocked by Rossi and the ball fell for Baldanzi just outside the Napoli box. Costanzo fouled Baldanzi to concede a free kick in a dangerous area, earning himself a yellow card in the process. Empoli didn't do too much with it, though Baldanzi took the free kick himself and struck it straight into the wall. The way the first half went, you sense that, barring a moment of brilliance from either side, this match was going to end in a stalemate. Unfortunately for Napoli, that moment came for Empoli in the 54th minute. Their captain Pazzola scored an absolute golazzo from about 30 yards out. He hit the ball with his laces, or perhaps just slightly to the right of his laces, because the ball dipped and swerved into the top right corner of the goal. You do have to give Empoli credit, though I mentioned their patient play. Empoli completed 12 consecutive passes in the build-up to the goal, and it's not like they were passing the ball around the back. Almost all of those passes were in or around the area, and in the end, Idasiak had no chance to make that save. The game certainly opened up after that with Napoli needing to get forward to equalize, but even then there weren't really that many opportunities to score for either side. In fact, both teams had exactly one quality scoring chance after the goal. Matteo Marquizano had the lone chance for Napoli only a few minutes after he came off the bench to replace DeMarco. Ambrosino squared the ball to Marquisano on the right edge of the area. He made a quick move to his right to Shegriza and open up the shot. Marquisano fired towards the top corner, but Vlahic made a fantastic save. If I'm being honest, I think the shot might have finished just over the bar or even hit the bar, but Vlahic correctly didn't take any chances. Six minutes later, Baldanzi had Empoli's chance the other way. He made a darting run on the right wing. Cut into his left to lose Didona and fired a hard shot on target, but Idasiak made a great save, diving to his right to keep Napoli in the game. Unfortunately, we couldn't do anything after that, and the score finished 1-0 for Empoli. So with the loss, we dropped from third all the way down to seventh in the table, but that's only because at the moment, goal differential is used as the tiebreaker. In reality, we're tied with three other teams in fourth position on twelve points, We were actually quite fortunate that second place Genoa lost 2-1 to Bologna at home. Inter drew 1-1 at Cagliari and Juve lost 2-0 to Hellas Verona. Roma got a convincing 3-0 win over Atalanta to extend their lead at the top of the table to 4 points. Despite their loss, Genoa remains second on 13 points. Fiorentina beat Milan to leapfrog a bunch of teams and join Genoa on 13 points. Then you have Empoli, Inter, Juve and Napoli all tied on 12 points. The Azzurini will be back in action on Friday to take on Loli Sassuolo, so that should be a good opportunity to get back on track. Inter play Roma and Juve play Genoa, so with a win, we could easily move up a few positions in the table, and with a bit of help, we could go as high as second. That will do for part 1. In part 2, we'll review our latest femminile match. Welcome to part 2 of the Forza Napoli podcast. Our women's team was in action on Sunday as well with a pretty important match against Sampdoria. Sampdoria are a new team that was formed this past summer. Like most clubs nowadays, they are affiliated with their men's team, which automatically puts them in an advantageous position relative to the clubs that are not affiliated with their men's counterparts like Napoli. At the same time the club was formed, they acquired the sports license of Florentia San Gimignano. Since earning promotion to Serie A in 2018, Florentia have been a mid-table club. They finished in 7th position in 2018-19, then they finished 5th in 2019-20, and 7th again last season, so they're very much a team we're looking to compete with this season. Heading into this match, they were once again sitting smack in the middle of the table on 9 points, which is pretty good considering their schedule. They opened the season against newly promoted Lazio, which they won 2-1, but then they had to play Milan, Sassuolo, Fiorentina, and Inter all back-to-back after that. They lost the first three, but beat Inter in a match that was rescheduled because of a COVID outbreak at Inter, which perhaps worked to Sampdoria's advantage. They won that match 3-0, then they beat another one of their direct competitors, Pomigliano 1-0, so Sampdoria came into this match having won their previous two matches by a combined score of 4-0. Meanwhile, Napoli have had an even more difficult schedule than Sampdoria. We've played Inter, Roma, Fiorentina, Milan, and Juventus in our first six matches of the season, so to come out of that gauntlet with four points is actually not too bad. You could also argue that we deserved more than that, which I'll come back to later. As Pistolezzi noted in his pre-match conference, this was the first of four matches in our next five that are against direct competitors, so this is a really important stretch of the season. Unfortunately, we didn't have Depi Chatsi Nicolaou for this match as she was the latest player to return from international duty, but we did get Aurel Awona back from injury. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Sampdoria lined up in a 4-4-2 diamond formation with Amanda Tampieri in goal, Giorgia Spinelli and Anna Ovinen started at center back. Paola Boglioni played at left back and Deborah Novellino played at right back. Yorelli Rincon started as the regista in behind Bianca Falico and Michela Giordano. Veronica Battellani started as the trequartista and Stephanie Terenzi and ex Napoli player Anna Martinez played as the dual strikers. For Napoli, Pistolezzi switched to a 3 4 3 formation with Yolanda Aguirre in goal. Paola Di Marino started in the center of the back three with Awona to her left and Emily Garnier to her right. Sara Tui and Sofia Colombo lined up in the center of the midfield. Sedia Bramson started on the left side of the midfield and Kaya Ertzen started on the right side. Eleonora Goldoni moved up to start on the left wing, Maddalena Porcarelli made her first start of the season to play on the right wing, and with Depi not in the squad, Sola is started at striker. So those were the starting lineups, next let's get to the match. Unfortunately I did not have access to the full match so I'm relying on highlights and Twitter for this review which is unfortunate because there was certainly no lack of drama. As far as I could tell the first half was rather uneventful, but Napoli were the better side on the whole. We had the first chance of the match in the 7th minute, but it was more of a half chance than anything. Ericsson ran nearly half the length of the pitch to somehow get to the ball on the right wing before Boglioni. She then made a brilliant dribble to get around Boglioni and open up the shot, but the shot finished well off the target. Ertzson was probably my player of the match. She was causing all kinds of problems for Sampdoria's defense on the right wing, and she played some dangerous balls into the area, even though nothing came of them. Both keepers did really well to eat up any balls that were crossed into the area. Unfortunately, the only other thing worth reporting in the first half was that Abramson was forced to leave the match in the 34th minute with an injury. She was replaced by Ilaria Capitanelli. I haven't seen any reports about Abramson's condition so hopefully that means it wasn't a serious injury. The second half started out well for Napoli. Only a minute into the half Sole played a given goal with Goldoni at the edge of the area. Sole dribbled into the area and got the shot off. It actually looked like the shot was going to miss the target but it took a deflection off Spinelli and ended up going on target. However that deflection also took the pace off the shot and in the end it was a fairly routine save for Tempieri. Ertzen had another chance around the hour mark after some lovely build up play. Capitanelli and Sara Tui played a give and go on the left wing before Tui crossed the ball into the area. Ertzen did really well to win the header, but she was leaning back and didn't get much power on it, and in the end, it was another routine save for Tampieri. So we were creating chances to score, but we also defended really well. Moments before that, Ertzen header Sampdoria had a decent chance. Rincon played a lovely chip over the top to substitute Emily Helmball. She looked like she was clear on goal, but the Marino chased her down and made a brilliant slide tackle to block the shot. Unfortunately, that was one of the Marino's final plays before the controversy started. In the 77th minute, she was shown a straight red card for a tackle on Rincón. On the replay you could clearly see that Di Marino got all ball on this play. I suppose you could say that there was a foul in the follow through but a red card was very very harsh. I don't blame the official too much because in real time it looked like a hard tackle and Rincón definitely sold it while yelling and rolling around after the tackle which is not something we see much of in the women's game compared to the men's game. I suppose you could also say that Di Marino's studs were up, but it was quite clear on the replay that her studs did not catch Rincon, it was her shins that collided with Rincon's shins. The real issue here though is that there's no VAR in the women's game. If there was VAR, I think that decision definitely would have been reversed, so hopefully that will change next season when the league is considered a professional league. Despite being a player down, we continue to create the better chances in the 84th minute and then again in the 87th minute, Ertzen picked out Goldoni at the back post, but both times her header was stopped by Tempieri. The first attempt was a looping header that was stopped quite easily. The second was low and hard, but Tempieri came up with a big save. Then in the 89th minute, Falico played a long ball over the top to substitute Christina Karp, who got behind Awona. Awona put her hands on Carp's back, and there wasn't much of a shove, but as soon as Carp felt the hands on her back, she also went to ground. Personally, I didn't think there was a foul here, but whenever you put your hands on a player, you run that risk. And because Awona was the last player back, she too was shown a straight red card. So Napoli were forced to play stoppage time 9v11. According to the fourth official, there were to be 5 minutes of stoppage time. With two extra players, Sampdoria were finally able to push forward and had a really good chance in the first minute of stoppage time. There was a bit of a scramble in the area before the ball fell to Helmball, but her shot finished just over the bar. Even though there were only supposed to be 5 minutes of stoppage time, the official played on until the 8th minute of stoppage time and sure enough, Sampdoria scored with the final kick of the match. This was another scramble in the area, Rincón played the ball into the area, Karp tried to chip the ball over Aguirre who came off her line, but Garnier was there to block the shot. Her clearance was really poor though, instead of clearing the ball out to the sidelines, she hit it straight up in the air. Garnet then head the ball off the line, but straight back into the danger area, and Karp was there to volley into the back of the goal. Now as I said, I didn't have access to the full match, but I find it hard to believe that there were 3 full minutes of stoppages in stoppage time to warrant playing until the 98th minute. Naturally that turned out to be the only goal of the match and to make matters worse, Sole was shown a red card for descent after the final whistle which means Di Marino, Awona and Sole will all miss the match against Lazio and it's possible Sole gets 2 games. Pistolezzi was understandably frustrated after the match. He said it's the third match we've been penalized by the officials, the other two being the Milan and Juve games. In both of those games, our players went down looking for penalties and they were not given. If I'm being honest, I don't think there was a foul in the Juve game and even if we got the penalty, we probably would have lost that match 2-1 and Juve were simply the better side. But I thought we definitely deserved the penalty late in the Milan match, which could have given us the opportunity to draw that match 1-1 and instead we lost it 1-0. Pistolezzi added that we can't stay quiet anymore and that Napoli played better than Sampdoria. After the match, the club released a press release confirming that the club feels hard done by by the officials in this match and those that Pistolezzi referred to. However, the club also distanced itself from the behavior after the match, which I presume was some sort of protest by the players that resulted in Sola's red card. The press release also announced the resignation of sporting director Nicola Crisano, who was responsible for rebuilding this team in the summer. It's not clear what the reason for the resignation was. If you want to give Crisano the benefit of the doubt, you could speculate that he resigned because he could no longer tolerate the poor officiating. On the other hand, you could speculate that he was forced to resign, as the club has collected only four points through seven matches. As a result, we're currently sitting third from the bottom of the table, which is in the relegation zone. However, I do think it's too early to panic. As I mentioned, we've had a really tough schedule to start the season, which only makes it harder to accept these poor refereeing decisions. Some of the team executives, led by managing director Francesco Tripodi, met with the players on Wednesday to help them get past this difficult experience and to motivate the players to continue playing Fortunately, we have Latu up next, who have started the season with 7 consecutive losses, so this will be the perfect opportunity to get back on track and restore the players' confidence. That will do for Part 2. In Part 3, we'll preview our Europa League return fixture against Legia Warsaw. Welcome to part 3 of the Forza Napoli podcast. We'll close the pod with a quick preview of our match on Thursday against Legia Warsaw. This is our second consecutive match against Legia in the Europa League. Of course, the previous match was played at the Maradona, so this one will be played in Poland. As a reminder, Legia come into this match top of Group C on 6 points. We are tied with Leicester City on 4 points and Spartak Moscow, our bottom of the table, on 1 point. That means any of the current top three teams could be top of the table after this round. If we win, we'd guarantee ourselves at least joint top of the table if Leicester City wins as well, and sole top if they don't. If we lose, Legia will be sole top of the table regardless of what happens in the other match, and if we draw, Leicester could go top with a win over Spartak Moscow. Legia continued to struggle in the Polish Ekstraklasa. Prior to our last meeting, they were sitting in 15th position, which was just outside of the relegation zone. Since then, they've lost both of their Ekstraklasa matches and have now dropped into the relegation zone, which is really unbelievable when you consider that they're the reigning Polish champions. If they were sitting in the middle of the extra-class table, I'd be inclined to think that they would prioritize the Europa League ahead of their domestic league, but relegation would be a complete disaster, so their focus will be split between the two competitions, which works in our favor. In fact, their assistant coach, Alessio De Petrillo, who's Italian by the way, said that the Polish championship is their absolute priority and they will not force the recovery of their players. Meanwhile, there are some who believe that Napoli are making a big mistake trying to compete in multiple competitions. Last season, we saw Inter exit the Champions League in the group stage and go on to win the Scudetto. On Wednesday, Milan drew Porto, leaving them bottom of Group B in this season's Champions League so they could well find themselves in the same position Inter were in last season. We've already seen the toll that these matches could take on a team. Based on the squad list that was published on Wednesday, we'll have 7 players absent for this match. Since our last meeting, Legia sacked their manager, Shesla Mikiewicz, and promoted their B-team manager, Marek Golubiewski, but Golubiewski seems to be using the same formations. Given De Petrilo's comments, I think we can expect a squad similar to the one Golubiewski fielded against Svit Szesin in the Fortuna Polish Cup, rather than the one they fielded in their last two extra Classa matches. For that Polish Cup match, Legia lined up in a 4-2-3-1 with Premislaw Matloka in goal, Patrick Barnowski and Jakub Kuzko started at center back. David Kiesley played at left back and Patrick Biel played at right back. Jakub Jalsik and Piotr Wojtyasek played in the double pivot. Adam Ladziak started on the left wing. Kaspar Wojtyasek started on the right wing. Pavel Kraujic played in the 10, and Szymon Kepelutz started at striker. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti has a pretty thin squad at his disposal. The nice thing is we have two viable options at just about every position on the pitch so there's no need to change formation i expect alex medet to start in goal because he seems to be the preferred option in the europa league of course that keeps david ospina fresh for Serie A. the backline pretty much selects itself at center back manolas is still recovering from his injury he did work in the pool on wednesday so Rachmani will start in his place Koulibaly plays every match and since he's suspended for the Hellas Verona match, there's no reason not to start him in the Europa League. Mario Rui is not in the squad as he serves the second of his two-game suspension for the red card he picked up against Spartak, which feels like a pretty harsh punishment to me. Kevin Malqui is not in the squad either while he continues to recover from a muscle strain, so Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start again at right-back. Fabian Ruiz did not travel with the squad either. According to Wednesday's training report, he has slight fatigue in his left adductor, which is the thigh muscle. That means Frank Zambo Anguissa and Diego Demet are likely to start in the double pivot, with Stanislav Lobotka providing an option off the bench. In fact, Spalletti confirmed in his pre-match conference that Anguissa will start. The front four is where things get a little bit interesting. Once again, Victor Osman and Lorenzo Insigne will not be in the squad. They're both nursing minor injuries. Interestingly, Wednesday's training report said that Insigne did custom work to complete the recovery from the fatigue he felt on Saturday. That makes you feel pretty confident that he will play against Hellas Verona. On the other hand, like Malqui, Victor Osman did custom work in the gym, which makes me very concerned that perhaps he will not be ready to play on Sunday. So with those two players out, we have a few different options. Let's start with the number 10, I think we'll see Piotr Zielinski there. I debated whether to include him as a starter, but he missed the opportunity to play against Legia in the previous match, and this will be played in his home country of Poland, so for that reason I have him starting. With Zielinski in the 10, that frees up Elif Elmas to play on the left wing. With Lozano and Politano both starting against Lernitana, at least one of them should rest for this match to be fresh for Hellas Verona, I have Lozano starting against Legia on the right wing because he only played an hour against Lernitana and because I think Spalletti would rather start Politano against Hellas Verona. Even though we have a pretty thin squad, we did get Adam Unes back, he completed the full group training on Wednesday so he appears back to full health. I doubt he would start having not played in a while, but it's nice to have that additional option off the bench, especially because he can play in multiple positions. Finally, I think Andrea Patania will start at striker. Drews Mertens started against Lernitana, and I just don't think he's fit enough to start two matches only four days apart. Also, with the way Patania played off the bench against Lernitana, I think he earned himself the right to start this one. And, in case Osman is not available against Hellas Verona, I think Spalletti would prefer to start Mertens in that match. Which again supports petania starting here so those are our starting lineups next let's get to our three keys to the match my first key to the match is that we need to play smart and conserve our energy as i said we're coming into this match with a very short squad list we're bringing only 18 players to poland and three of them are goalkeepers that means we'll have only five outfield players on the bench those five players are alessandro zanoli who's our only backup defender, Stanislav Lobotka, who's our only backup midfielder, and Martins, Adamunas Adam Unas, and Matteo Politano. Ideally, you'd want to race out to a three-goal lead before the break and then empty the bench, but that's not usually how it goes, and it's not how I think it will go in another hostile environment. That said, I think Spalletti will need to use his bench. I wouldn't be surprised if Spalletti used all five of the substitutes he has at his disposal. Zanoli can replace Di Lorenzo if we have a big lead, and if we don't, he can replace Juan Jesus, who may not be fit to play the full 90 minutes. I'd use Lobotka to replace Anguisa somewhere between the 60th and 70th minute because we'll need Anguisa on Sunday for Hellas Verona. I think whoever starts on the right wing will likely be replaced around the same time, so if Lozano starts, Politano would come on around the hour mark and vice versa. And then I think both Mertens and Unas will probably come on around the 80th minute. Mertens would likely replace Petania and Unas would replace Zielinski. With Unas, we could either play him in the number 10 if we need to add creativity, but I think it's more likely that Elmes shifts into the middle, and Unas plays on the left wing. My second key to the match is we need to play to our strengths, and what I really mean by that is we need to take advantage of petania's size, on the weekend, we really struggled to break through Salernitana's low block, and as we talked about last episode, I think with Mertens in the 9, we lacked a true reference point up top. As we saw last time we played against Legia Warsaw, they are likely to sit back and defend as well. Like Salernitana, they'll be playing in front of their home crowd in a sold-out Stadion wojska Polskiego, so the Legia players will be equally motivated. Pitana made a big impact off the bench against Lernitana and he definitely does provide a reference point. He's a big target in the area, so we should look to cross the ball. That's another reason why I have Lozano starting. As Chris Sorensen mentioned last episode, when you want to play the cross, you're generally better off playing a right-footed player on the right wing and a left-footed player on the left wing. That's not to say that inverted wingers can't cross the ball, but I do tend to agree. Also, I think with inverted wingers like Elmas playing on the left, we can take advantage of Patania's hold-up play. Elmas can cut in, pass to Patania with his back to goal, and Patania can either play the return pass to Elmas or he can lay it off to Zielinski for the shot from the edge of the area. My final key to the match is we need to stay tight at the back. Now, that might sound a little bit odd considering that we've only conceded 3 goals in 11 Serie A matches. That's nearly one goal every four matches or a quarter of a goal per game, but we've been a bit more leaky at the back in the Europa League. So far, we've conceded six goals in three matches or two goals per game. That's eight times as many goals as we're conceding in Serie A. Now, that could be because we usually field a weaker squad in the Europa League than we do in Serie A, but given the squad I'm expecting Legia to play, there's no reason why we shouldn't pick up a clean sheet. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 2-0 victory on goals from Andrea Petania and Piotr Zelinski. All indications are that both teams will field a lot of bench players, so you have to like our bench players over Legias. In fact, we're probably going to have more regular starters in our squad with the likes of Koulibaly, Rachmani, Di Lorenzo, Anguisa, and, and Zelinski. So even though we will be playing away from home and with a limited squad, we should be able to take care of business here. Once again, Legia's best goal scorer, Mahir Amreli, will probably not start. As we saw in the first leg, Legia is much more of an attacking threat when he's on the field than when he's not. I don't think Legia will create too many chances in the first place and then when they do their backup attackers will be going up against our starting defenders so I definitely like our players in that matchup. As I mentioned a win would put us top of the group and Spalletti has made it clear that we want to compete on both fronts but he's also shown that he will not risk injuries in doing so. He has players who deserve to play and this is their opportunity to help the team. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoy the match. That will also do it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at joe__fisketi5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. I'll be back soon to review this match and to preview our final Serie A match before the international break, which is against Hellas Verona. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre!
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.